Hello, and welcome to The New Story Is. My name is Dave Ursillo. I am the founder of The New Story Company and the host of this podcast. On today's episode, do you ever feel called to use your voice, but feel intimidated about how or in what ways or what to say? Do you question sometimes if you're actually telling a story or if you're more documenting events that are happening in real time? What is a story anyway? And how do we share it? For our next guest, things like these topics, storytelling, uh, even public speaking and having trouble with articulating or sharing your story out loud are ripe topics for conversation. My guest today is Eduardo Placier. He's a public speaking coach, an international community builder, and a story doula whose work includes issues related to inclusive masculinity, LGBTQIA activism and advocacy, access to education, and much more. Eduardo is the founder of Fearless Communicators, a public speaking coaching business that empowers leaders and change makers to push past their fear of public speaking by embracing the courage of public sharing to make the greatest positive impact in their community. He was a professional actor for 15 years, and today he serves on the boards of two organizations, including the Out Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that works to remove barriers that block LGBTQ plus individuals' access and participation in fitness and health and wellness. He also serves on the board of the Cuban American Alliance for Leadership and Education, or CALE, a tri-state area nonprofit centered on supporting education within the Cuban American community. He leads workshops and has uh, spoken at places like HBO, Google, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Yale, the Juilliard School, the Wharton School of Business, the Muslim Jewish Conference, and beyond. But at the end of the day, he describes himself as a bilingual, theater-loving, politically active, global citizen, and do-gooder. I'm very excited to introduce you to him today. Eduardo, welcome to The New Story Is, and thank you so much for being here. What a delicious introduction, Dave. Thank you so much <laughs> for that received. Oh, you're so you're so welcome. I, I'm so excited to dig into all these things we mentioned at the top of your introduction about storytelling, how to know what the difference is between a story and, and uh, you know, events uh, documenting uh, out loud. But first, I wanted to, uh, on, a, on a somewhat serious note, I know that you're uh, afflicted by a little known condition called shotunitis that causes you to spontaneously break out into song from time to time. Um, before we get into yes. the, the real meat and potatoes of our conversation, just want to see how is your condition these days? Like how, are, how are you faring with your shotunitis? Um, you know, I, you know, growing up as a child in Miami, Florida, uh, shotunitis was very difficult to live with because uh, I don't think it was something that was celebrated or understood by the people around me, specifically my family. I think they wish I had more like beetleitis or you know rock and rollitis, not shotuns, because that's what came out of my mouth. Uh, and I think it was lost to my Cuban immigrant parents. <clears throat> But now I just surrender. So I, uh, I lean into the flare up. So when the flare up happens, you know, then I just let it out. I let it rip. And uh, I just let people know in advance that it's coming, it's happening. And then I lean into it and then we move on. <laughs> so, the crazy thing is I know a lot of like first lines to show tunes uh, and that's it. I, there's a, there, you know, I, I'm lost past <laughs> kind of like the first line, the first cue in, and then, then the rest of it is kind of a bit of a blur. Uh, yeah. but you know, in the musical theater, there's always like the cue line. So what happens is inevitably I'm having a conversation with someone and they say something 
and it feels like the great lead into a song, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's like right. a great little volley. So yeah. that, that's what I can't contain. I can't contain, and that's the cue. And now cue song, uh, that right. my my brain does not have yeah. that so it's it's so <laughs> funny to me how like some people have like the the musical mindset where and of course we're we're being playful about like show tonight as being an affliction although you do mention um without much of a, a hint of humor right eduardo about um how, like you know your your, yeah. your selfhood your love of of music and show tunes coming out in a culture that maybe didn't instinctively understand it or even support it or a culture around you that was intimidated or uncomfortable by it, which are very serious topics and stuff that we'll, we'll get into perhaps in the course of our conversation today about your upbringing and um, yeah. your experience in music and acting as well as talking about story. But um, it's, it's always remarkable to me how the, the, the instincts that we, that we carry kind of become uh we experience them almost as if chapters throughout the book of our life, right? Or there's these different instances yeah. of, and, and then they become a, a part of, you know, everyday conversations that you have with people when, when the show tune is summoned from deep within you. You know, I, I have an identical twin brother who's straight. And when we used to play with our GI Joes, my brother played war and I played war, the musical, my little GI Joes <laughs> sang and they danced and they had monologues. And what's interesting <clears throat> is that I, I, I do have an ability to laugh at stuff that is painful. Mm. Right. And I think that there is pain that's been painful for me. I'm not laughing at other people's pain, but I'm laughing at my own, which is right. maybe why there's a little bit of permission. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and it's interesting because we're, you know, I don't know if we can talk about time, but we are in June, <laughs> you know, yes. June is busting out all over, all over the heather and the mill, a little show tune from carousel. <laughs> and the, the thing that's interesting. So June is pride month in yes. the United States. And, you know, I've done a lot of reflection around pride and why is pride important. And I think that the reason why pride is important is because it's sourced from deep shame. Mm. It is the antidote and it is the medicine to having grown up in a belief that there was something fundamentally wrong and shameful about my very experience, right? So what's interesting about show tunitis and what's interesting about the bursting out into the show tune and gifting myself and granting myself permission to lean into that is that it is an explosion of joy, mm. right? Oh, and that joy yeah. is an antidote to the shame. And what's interesting is that I find that when I lean into it and share of that uh, in my own storytelling, in my own uh, speaking, I think that it is it, it, it because I'm also singing and it's also music. It kind of cuts through the noise of the brain and it goes straight to the heart. And I mm. think it creates an opening that immediately creates a bond and a connection with an audience. Uh, and I yeah. tell the show tonight's joke everywhere in the world. Like the show tonight's is not spared an audience. Like everybody gets it. And I mm -hmm. think for someone in an audience to be witness to that, it is completely disarming. It is mm -hmm. joyful. 
And I'm laughing with myself and with all of us together, you know, as I reveal a truth about myself, which is also me creating a space of safety with my audience so that they know, yes, I do have the show to an affliction and I'm a raging homosexual. So that's also a piece (laughs) of the puzzle. Not that, and you can have show tonitis and be, heterosexual you can be show tonitis and be non-binary non-conforming you can have show tonitis and be a cisgender heterosexual but like it is not, it is inclusive of all expression right. uh but uh that is uh it, it just creates that space of seeing and and liberation and and play i i think i've never really considered joy to be the antidote or the, the, the quote unquote, like light, the promise side to the shadow of that is shame, right? If we talk about mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin um, and, you know, what, what came to mind for me, Correct. I was thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that framework mm-hmm. in which, uh, and also, and also, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, Hindu South Asian uh, chakra system, which would kind of equate um, or put on the same level shame as a as an inner an internal source an internal wounding that represents not having done wrong like guilt but being wrong like your existence is somehow flawed Correct. or wrong and the from what i what i recall from psychology and even from this the spiritual text that i've read about the chakral system it's like selfhood self-knowledge self-confidence and sometimes even self-love but it's like self dash that are that are typically associated with like here's the healing for shame it's like to know yourself really well and and i think we can attach joy to that but i never really personally considered like leading with joy as the correction to Unf- like you know undeserving shame about who you are as a person and mm. it feels more powerful than to me as i'm hearing you express it it feels more powerful in like more corrective and more f- progressive like more for it, it moves more forward or together mm-hmm. than just you know saying yeah. like know yourself and uh know yourself if, <laughs> if you've been dealt a shame hand if that makes sense and you know what's interesting is um i have found uh, that, and the, the way I, you know, I, I, you know, and, and thank you for the permission, you know, and the space to be speaking, you know, as we are in pride month, you know, and me speaking about my own relationship with shame and my own internalized homophobia in relationship to my homosexuality, um, and my gayness, uh, that I feel like I was so hyper corrected in every natural expression, the quality of my voice, the pitch of my voice, the gestures that I used, the things that I liked, the things that excited me. Like I felt like I had to perform who I think other people wanted me to be. And I think that that's, I'm not, I, I think, I don't think that that's the only experience that that is only true for queer people. I believe that most of us live in some trap of I was taught or I was led to believe that by performing someone other than who I am, I could be successful or I could achieve or I could be better uh, 
or I wouldn't, I didn't have to tell the truth. Like I, nobody really wanted to know the truth. Everybody wanted me to sound like, or look like, or be someone other than who I am. I feel that that's where we get this, this fear and shame around public speaking, which is something that I'm in the, in the work of. Right. Uh, and that the, the opportunity, because it is work, because the, I, I, the fear and the shame is always present. It's not like it's gone. You know, there is a, there's a traumatized second grader inside of me that, that is, that is trying to not relive that trauma ever again. That 45 year old Eduardo has to be like, you know what? You're fine. You're okay. Uh, I am going to bring my light anyway. And what's so interesting is that, again, I have been in places in the world where, where I have had to question, like, is my light too bright here? Do I lean into the full expression of who I am? Or do I have to edit or code switch and stuff like that? And, and there are places in the world where it is dangerous to be a gay man. You know, that is very clear. It is not. And that, that happens in the United States. And that also happens in other places in the world. We're not immune to that in the United States, although sometimes we think that we are. Uh, and I, I feel very blessed and very lucky that, that in the leaning into it, uh, it always pays off. And I think what people connect to is that universal desire for freedom, right? That universal desire of liberation, that universal desire of being expressed that, that I think many people suffer with the, can I, do I, should I, will I, that, that I think that my, and show tonight is a sliver of it, uh, gives people permission to harness and share their joy. And I think that that is, uh, that, that you know, to, and to bring it back to story and storytelling, I think that that's ultimately we want. Not that everything we to tell is joyful, but there is something powerful about speaking the truth, and I think that that's that's the medicine that I'm after, and that's the medicine that I've just because I've been in the lifelong search for the expression of my own that I now get to be a conduit for other people, harnessing that for themselves so that they understand the truth that is of greatest service for them to share right now. It's really remarkable to hear you describe the experience of feeling obligated from a young age, based on the feedback you were receiving from people around you that you had, you were kind of instinctively almost like in an adaptive way, right? Like a survival mechanism and and just being a social creature kind of like trying to find your way in the world through the people around you as as we all do in our own ways but you mentioned the self-editing the code switching the performative nature of trying to fit in or maybe minimize your your nature not only your your sexuality uh, as you mentioned as a gay man but like your 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 nature as like being outspoken and being wanting to be joyful and and playful and um First, just how how much it hurts me, you know, as an as an empath, um, to imagine that that young version of you, that second grade second grader in you, that persists to this day, but also imagining that second grader um, 
navigating that world and figuring out how to exist in a way that is both ensures your survival and your safety, which everybody deserves fundamentally at the, just at the, at the essence of their existing, the very least is that fundamental right to feel safe at all times. And then hmm. not only the, the physical safety that one deserves, especially if, in, as we are in Pride Month talking about um, the LGBTQIA plus experience, but also there's that secondary emotional, mental, psycho-spiritual aspect of survival, which is not only to, to be physically safe and, and allowed to live, but then to express the full truth of who somebody mm. knows themselves to be in the world. And that, that's, right. in, in talking about public speaking, which you, which you do as a coach, I'm wondering how much, Eduardo, as we start to maybe talk a little bit about the, 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 the art and the nature of storytelling and, and putting stories forth in the world and, and living your story out loud, when you're working with your clients, I'm wondering about how much not to maybe like quantify or try to quantify it. Um, but I'm wondering about how much of what brings somebody into the room with you to learn how to speak more fearlessly is driven by mm. that younger version of themselves. And maybe, maybe the wound, maybe the wound or the shame um, that they are, they are yeah. driven to learn to master <laughs> the pain Um and express it in the world versus how I think I imagine a, a lot of our listeners may say like, well, public speaking is what you do when you're, when you're a motivational speaker, when you just wrote a book and you want to sell the book, you know, the more like commercial yeah. aspects of like speaking and being on TEDx right. that <laughs> we equate with like career success. I'm curious about how you've seen people come into the room and is I, it always I love quite the personal? slight shade. I love the slight shade of the, <laughs> of the the career success because you know it's interesting <clears throat> there's several things that I want to say about that the first i believe that there is speaking from ego so it is what i call speaker focused speaking which i'm mm. not really interested in and then there's audience focused speaking which is the speaker is a channel for some type of message or truth to be shared in the moment that is of service to the people who are listening. That to me feels uh, in greater alignment because I, I have very little patience or tolerance uh, for people just taking up space to take up space, you know, cause it's all about them. It is feeding their ego. It's feeling their, their need to be seen, their need to be validated uh, that is less interesting to me. <clears throat> uh, there's an Aboriginal saying, which we center in our work, which is the story is hunting the storyteller. Ooh. I think you're going to love, I think you love that one, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, I think, uh, sometimes when I share that there's like an alchemical shift and people are like, Oh, uh, oops. And, what I think is really interesting about that is that I don't believe that there's anything new, right? As far as story is concerned, I feel like the themes of human experience 
uh, jealousy, shame, love, heartbreak, victory, defeat. Uh, these these are the lessons that we continue to learn as human beings. I think our stories are repeating lessons. They are parables that are repeating things for us to learn, to make sense of the time that we have from when we are born till we die. The, the story is a tool. And however... The specificity of your DNA, your fingerprint, your lived experience is another prism to highlight a truth that bears being repeated. So I think that that's that's the joy. That's the interesting piece of it, that, that yes, only you will live your life. Only you will live your experience and only you will experience these themes and through the intricacy and specificity of like your reactions and the decisions that you've made or things that have happened to you and how you reacted to those events that have happened, that story now sounds, looks, feels different. And yet the lesson is the same. It is a lesson that we continue to learn I don't think that we as human beings are good at learning lessons, which is why we need new and more stories, right? Uh, I think that that's just part of the human experience. And uh, and what's interesting is that I think that people come thinking oftentimes that there's a story that they want to tell. And then inevitably, the story that needs to be revealed emerges. And sometimes it's not the story that you think. And that's why in in part of our work, in part of our work at Fearless Communicators, the term that we use is being story doulas. And, uh, And I think what we do is we craft and create a container that allows the story that wants to be revealed to emerge. And sometimes that means that other stories have to kind of clear. So sometimes in our work where we have our clearing stories, someone gets a story out and they're like, wait, I've been holding on to that story for 10, 15, 20 years. And now that I've actually said it, now that I've actually crafted it, now that I've actually made sense of it, now I'm actually present to the new thing that wants to emerge because we're still sometimes stuck or holding on to stories of the past so much so that we can actually be present to the stories that are actually emerging in the moment. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I think that what is, uh, th- that the impetus ultimately what I'm always interested in is the truth and, and I think that to go back to the story that we were telling, the reason why I'm so interested in the truth is because from probably the age of five or six or seven, who I was was a liar. Right? So from the moment that I woke up to the moment that I went to sleep, I had to perform or convince everyone around me that I wasn't who I was, that the desires that I had, the things that I liked, the people that I had crushes on, like none of that, the truth was something that the people nearest to me couldn't be with. So I had to lie. And I think part of my journey coming out at 18, 
being an actor where you're paid to lie, you're paid to convince other people that you are a character and all that other stuff. Finally, one of the things that exhausted me about being an actor was like, I was sick and tired of performing somebody else. I was like, I'm done with that. I've spent my entire life donning and putting on a drag or a costume or a character of who I thought everyone else needed me to be. And pardon the expression, I'm fucking over it. And I'm ready to embody and be the truth as I know it in this moment for myself in my lived experience and, and speak about, tell my own story, share my own experience and be a monologist that I am the author of, (laughs) right? It is, I'm not, no one else is writing it for me. I am speaking it. And, uh, and I think that that impetus, that hunger is something that people find a home in, in fearless communicators, which is there's something that I want to say. I'm either terrified of it or I don't quite know how to say it because there's a lot that's going on in my mind. And I think oftentimes fear and shame and doubt is a part of that, although it may not be very frontal lobby for people. I think that there is some type of root there. Uh, And then the, the power in the, the liberation of that truth as a tool of service. So not just, it's not about me. It's through me that I think becomes the differentiator. And I think that that's what makes it uh, an act of generosity as opposed to an act of selfishness. And I know sometimes people sit with, do I share the story or what do I have to say? Or I don't know what I have to, you know, I think that there's a lot of like, I'm not a good storyteller or what I have to say is an important you know, and I think that there is an opportunity for people to mine, well, what is it that I have learned or where is it that I'm sitting now? And how can my experience be a lesson uh, to to other people? I think that that, be, and I hate the term motivational speaking and because all of a sudden I, I feel like I'm in some like, you know, hallmark card of public speaking where people are just like saying trite aphorisms and, you know, like pictures of athletes and people climbing Mount Everest or whatever, where it's like been there, done that, have the t-shirt, like not interested. Uh, like I, I really want the truth of someone's lived experience. And I think when, when you witness it, when you witness somebody standing with and being with the truth, However mundane that truth may be, it doesn't all have to be like, and then I had cancer or because sometimes I think in the world of speaking, people feel like it's a little bit of the trauma Olympics. Like I only had to have, I can only speak if I only endured some crazy hardship and, you know, sure that that is, that, that is something that we can, uh, that can be harnessed to share. Uh, but not every, not every life lesson has to be in that, I think sometimes there's a lot of uh, wisdom and uh, and power in in a simple decision that was made on a Tuesday. That if you have the ability to craft that into a powerful story, I think that there's there's a lot of meat and a lot of value in that as well. 
Um, and I think that goes back to the effectiveness of the storyteller, right? Definitely. I was going to, uh, I was going to say that I, you mentioned the, uh, the, like, uh, I think you, you called it like trauma Olympics. Um, I had a, I had a client, a writing client, yeah. um, who I was working with as a writing coach from the Philippines years ago, who said he was exhausted because he felt like every time he logged onto Facebook, he felt like in order to be a writer, he had to compete in what he called the vulnerability Olympics. Like there were no stories if they, if yeah. you were not like airing out a wound, a trauma. And we can understand that there's a, a, a like a draw into a healing process by through self-expression and that social media is literally right there. And like the keyboards right in front of us, the phone is in our hands at all times, but I appreciate you putting some qualifiers around what we share. It doesn't have to be the most extreme. It doesn't have to be. And, and that's an ironic part about the culture in which we're living, isn't it, Eduardo? In that um, not only do Silicon Valley algorithms from these social media platforms seem to very sneakily reward extreme opinions, extreme behaviors, um, the most uh, you know emotionally charged like news stories, fake news stories, um, but but also the nature of the culture today is like extremity drives uh, or captures attention. I, mean, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on storytellers these days, as you mentioned, to feel like they must summon the worst thing that's happened to them uh, or put put their life experience in terms that are necessarily like traumatic in order to feel worthy of being heard when like, you know, not to discount the trauma severe or quote unquote insignificant, right? Which, which all trauma is trauma um, that people are my listeners, our listeners have experienced, but you, it's not requisite for being a storyteller, especially if you reframe 100%. it through this lens of the, the story pursuing you, which I think is a really fascinating way to almost uh, take some of the pressure off of yourself as, as the storyteller. If, you're, if this, there's, there's a relationship to the story that wants to be told as opposed to you having to maybe um, – Summon the the summon something and tell a story that you maybe are not even comfortable with sharing in the first place. Well, and, and I, what I want to zo- what I want to zoom into is story, right? Because I think that what happens inevitably on social media is not storytelling <clears throat> for the most part. What happens is trauma dumping mm. or just dumping. Right. Where people are like, I'm going to tell you my story. And then what they do is they just dump language. Right. Now, what's interesting is that I think the question is, what is the agreement or what is the contract of the dumping or the sharing? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what's tricky for an audience is. And this is, are you talking about you or are you talking through you? Right. Because I think that what happens, which is, I think, sometimes irresponsible, is that people do this release to some imaginary audience, mm-hmm. right? Or imaginary followers, or imaginary whatever. And there's no responsibility for how that whatever they're sharing is going to land on the audience. Because I think what happens for me as an audience is I'm thinking, do they have a therapist? Are they going to take their life? Are they being cared for are do they have medication like are they taken are they taken care of 
right? I think is the question. And it's not my job to take care of you. Right. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't spaces where the dumping of trauma are completely and totally valid and necessary, like with your therapist or in a support group or in a self-help group when you're in a community of people where you're just like kind of working through something and the agreement or the contract from the people who are witnessing is we are here to support you working through and processing that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's the wild west on, you know, Instagram live or social media. And then you have a lot of people who are influencers or whatever, just, just dumping on there. And there's just no responsibility for it. Now, Mm. what's interesting, and this is the interesting piece about story and storytelling, that people think they're telling stories, but what they're doing oftentimes is recounting an event that happened and they're navigating territory sometimes where they've never shared whatever that is before. So they are kind of like in a murky wilderness, kind of like where it's very easy for them to get lost or re-triggered or break down. Like, so, so for me as an audience, I don't necessarily trust that you know where you're going there either. And I think that's, that can also be compelling theater because you're just like, oh my God, what the hell? Am I watching a train wreck? Am I watching, like, who knows what I'm watching? But I'm compelled mm-hmm. to watch because there's a part of my, like, psychology or part of my brain, which is just like the thing that the algorithms pick up, right? Uh, the thing about a story is that a story has a clear beginning, a middle, and an end. So a story has a plot. A story has character. A story has conflict. A story has a theme. A story has a setting. And if it doesn't have that, it's not a story. So noticing that what people do is they timeline. So they start saying, I was born, and then I went to college, and then I went to, then I got my degree, and then I got my first job, and then I got married, and then I got divorced, and then I had a miscarriage, and then I had an abortion, and then I had, right, so then there's all these things, notice how I went, and then I, I then I came out as a lesbian, <laughs> do you know what I mean, and now I'm trans, and now, you know, and but but it's like, I'm in a bio, I'm mm-hmm. in a timeline, I'm not in a specific story. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's powerful is that a story is an amazing tool for you to process an event or a series of events that happen. So you can now extract, if you, if you give it that kind of structure, what happens is now you're able to zoom out and then understand And then once, and then that in itself is its own process of healing or understanding so that what happens is me as an audience, when you finish, now I know why you told me the story. And what happens is when we're timelining or doing some chronology or event dumping, oftentimes for me as a listener, I'm like, why are you telling me the story? Like, why am I, what, like, what happened? Like, why am I here? Because you actually haven't done the work 
to figure out why are you telling me this story? And the thing for a storyteller that I think, and this is the thing that I belabor, I belabor it with all of our clients is this thing in a plot, which is called the inciting incident. Mm -hmm. So the inciting incident is the moment that something happens that's unexpected, which is now why you're telling me a story. So a Tuesday at Starbucks when nothing is happening. So I'm sitting at Starbucks, I'm having a latte, and then I went to the mall. And it was amazing. I hung out with my friend. We were great. And then we went shopping. And then I was like, we're going to catch a movie. And then we saw the movie. It was really great. And I went home, and then I had a latte, and then I had my ice cream, and I went to sleep. And it was really great. And I woke up in the morning, I went to work, and you're just like, what happened? Like, what's happening? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Why are you telling me all of this stuff? Right? Because there's no... You're not telling me what happened, which is now why we're in a story. So there mm-hmm. needs to be an inciting incident. There needs to be something that happens outside of the ordinary, which is now why you're telling me a story. Right? It was a Tuesday at Starbucks. Um, I was having my my normal latte and all of a sudden my phone rang. And it was him. And I've been waiting for this phone call for three years and I finally have him on the phone. All of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm in a story, (laughs) right? So I think that as storytellers, what we tend to do, or people have like a shit ton of exposition, they have all of this stuff that doesn't mean anything to the story, germane to the story that you're going to tell me get to the thing that happened that's unexpected, get to the inciting incident so that now I as an audience know why you're telling me the story. And I think that the things that you need to be careful of and, and, and knowledgeable about as a storyteller is an inciting incident and a climax. There is something that happens that's outside of the ordinary. And then there's something that happens that's like the big explosion, that's the big reveal, that is the big shift that happened. And, and, And there is a very clear pathway to get to that climax and everything that isn't is not necessary to the story. And I think that if you can start understanding storytelling from that framework, I think you start understanding that my speaking is not just an opportunity for me to vent. And there are places where you can do that. Absolutely. And you should like nobody should no one should feel like whatever they have to say uh, is not uh, like everything that you have to speak is worthy of being heard. And there are people who are poised and ready to listen to that and find and source those spaces. And that's not necessarily telling a story. And I think that the more people can understand the tool, the the gift, the power of a structured story, then all of a sudden what you have access to is liberation. There's a great saying from the musical Pippin to trigger the show tonightus again, unless you're tied down to anything, you will never be free. And I think people love to wing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's an experience of winging it, but that's really still your searching. You may or may not land the plane. The, the power of crafting 
the story is one, if you know the map of the story that you are telling, I don't talk, this is not memorization. This is not like reading from the script, but if like, if you know the map, if you know those moments, if you're very clear about what that is, what happens is you as an, as a storyteller are a guide and you know where you're leading me as an audience. And then what that allows for me to do as an audience is trust that you're going to take me somewhere. And then what happens is I surrender for the journey and I'm fully present to the message that you are imparting on me. Otherwise, I check out because I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're going to take me anywhere. And I think that that's the power of and why I think it's so important to teach storytelling craft because I think that and, and when, when you see an amazing storyteller, you're not necessarily aware of the craft because they're an accomplished storyteller, right? But you're aware that you're in the hands of somebody who's doing something that's different. And I think that, uh, and I think we can be very inclusive in how we play with that structure. I don't think that it all necessarily has to look like or sound the same. I think that you as a storyteller need to know where you're going so that I, as a listener, can surrender and follow. And I think that that is a, um, that, that when that happens, you're present to absolute magic. It's beautifully said, Eduardo. It speaks what you're just saying there, the, the trust that is requisite in leading, telling a story, <clears throat> which is leading someone through an experience, through their imagination, through the felt experience, through their bodies. You mentioned that what happens to someone can't be like, can't be your responsibility as the story's teller, but the storytelling that I'm hearing you describe does come with the responsibility when you're being governed by the responsibility to the audience and that, and the trust that can bring somebody into a story. So there is forethought, there is planning, there is consideration in, as opposed to winging it or processing out loud, which we're all entitled to do, but you distinguish it as being different from the art of storytelling in which um, the question of why seems to be necessary to govern the fact that it's being told at all. Correct. And, and again, I, I, I want to make a distinction between that, that I think a phase in the process is verbal diarrhea. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I think absolutely. Yeah, rough drafting. I yeah. think make a mess of it, you know, like figure it out. Like, like part of that is, is a part of the process. Um, and that's getting to the storytelling. That is not the story. Right. And I think that the, uh, and there are spaces that exist to support you in the figuring out what is the story that I'm looking to tell and how do I tell that story? And, and I think for people who are serious about telling their story or using their story as a tool as for their business or in service of other people, I think that you are behooved to understand that because it is the gift that keeps giving. 
If not, there's a lot of spaghetti that's being thrown on the wall. And I think that if you can understand the technique and the tool, that is the gift that's going to keep giving in your life because that's going to be the biggest resource that you have, the biggest tool that you have to build true, connected, bonded uh, connection with an audience. And, and the audience knows it and they feel it and you also know it and you feel it and there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. And I also say there's no such thing as private speaking. So all speaking is public speaking, right? So that is uh, on a sales call, that is standing on a TED stage, that is speaking to your therapist, that is speaking to your family for a holiday thing, that is a best man or a maid of honor speech, like all, all of the ways in which we can use. And the thing about story that's so beautiful is it, it is fundamentally human, Like if we think about the ritual of story and storyteller, it takes us back probably to some plane or somewhere in Africa around a fire where someone uttered something, a word or a series of words that were formed and framed into a story to make sense of something that these people were experiencing. And from that origin story, all the stories emerged. And I think that it is a ritual that connects us to the profundity of our experience as human beings. And I think that, um, that there is power in that ritual. And, uh, and I think maybe what I am is someone who wants to, uh, to allow us to reflect on the power of that ritual and to understand the ritual. Mm. Let's understand the ritual. Then you can play. Then you can break all the rules, right? But understand the ritual. Understand how it works so that you can then be virtuosic. I think what happens is people try to be virtuosic without really understanding the rules, and then it's a hot mess. Eduardo Plasier is the founder of Fearless Communicators. Eduardo, thank you so much for joining us on The New Story Is. This was fascinating. We're going to have to have you back to talk more about story, understanding the ritual, so much more. I really appreciate your time, uh, and thank you for sharing all your, your wisdom and your joy with us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Dave. Till soon. And thank you for listening to this episode of The New Story Is. We'll be back soon with a fresh interview for you. In the meantime, if you're feeling generous and want to help support our show, please rate and review The New Story Is wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps others to find the show. Until next time, I'm Dave Rosillo. This has been The New Story Is. Bye for now.